Where did Satan come from? Is he this eternal force of evil in opposition to God's eternal goodness and they're doing this eternal battle against each other? Or is he a created being who fell from grace? And if he did fall from grace, what was he like before his fall and why did he fall? We will talk about these questions and answer them in this week's episode of the Faith by Reason podcast. Welcome to the podcast. The website behind it all, as always, is faithbyreason.net. Please check it out. Tons of great information there. And we are, of course, talking about Satan, the devil, the dark side. We are doing an entire series on our spiritual enemies, which has proven to be, on the blogs, the uh, most popular series that, that I've done on Faith by Reason. So I assume that these podcasts will hopefully be just as popular. People want to know about the spiritual enemies, about spiritual warfare, and I am happy to oblige. So in the last podcast, which is which was the first podcast in this series, we looked at whether or not Satan was a real individual, uh, intelligent, malevolent being, or if he was just some abstract force of evil. And we saw clearly through the Bible that Satan is a personal uh, being. He is a an individual, sentient being. He's not just some amorphous force of evil. He's not a, he's not a well, he's not an analogy for general evil. He's actually a, a personal being with a personal will and personal methodologies and and he has his goals and he has his purposes. And we talked about some of those in the last podcast as well. In this podcast we're going to talk more about how this being came into being and um, what he was like. Or, or, or more, or rather, what he is like in his, uh, his, his nature and his character. We'll talk about that a little bit in this podcast. We're basically going to be doing Satan's origin story. So let's start by just uh, starting out at the very baseline and, and, and kind of dispelling another one of the myths about Satan, and that is the idea that Satan is this. Well, we, we again dispelled the myth that Satan is this um, eternally amorphous force of evil. We know he's a personal being. But is he the eternal force of, of evil in opposition to God's goodness? And the truth is he's not. The Bible does not paint him in that in that way. Many other religions do paint Satan as or, or, or they do have a force of eternal evil, specifically that the Hindu religion. They have their good create their good creator and their bad um, his bad counterpart. You have you no know, Shiva and Vishnu who are in, in addition to the 360 other gods there's actually a few thousand gods if you put them, put them all together but about 360 main gods in hinduism and above all of those are the you know the top two characters the equal forces of good and evil who are always battling each other the creator and the destroyer and even if you look at some other pagan religions in the mythologies of, of, of Egypt and the Greek mythology and Norse mythology, you have the same thing. You have all these different gods, but you have the, the top two gods are usually the, a god of goodness to some degree and a god of evil, a god of the light and a god of the darkness. And they are always battling each other and they are always equal to some degree in their power. And all of them, ha all religions have some type of of end times prophecy, some type of a final reckoning wherein the uh, good God and the bad God, the two most powerful gods, get into their final battle, and usually the good God wins, and in some religions the bad God wins, which is unfortunate if you believe in that 
particular religion. For example, in North mythology, there's it's Ragnarok, you know, the final battle of the gods. And there, you, again, if you look at the different pagan religions, they'll all have something similar. And, and those who are not Christians and, and don't understand Christian, uh, Christianity, they will look at the idea of Armageddon as this final battle between good and evil in the book of Revelation. And of course, all you have to do is read Revelation once and you will know that's not the case. But again, it's popular culture and it's very popular in pop culture, in our movies, in our in our books where good and evil have their final battle. I mean, think about every movie you see, every action movie, every superhero movie, every movie with a hero's journey, it, they all end the same way with the good guy, the hero who you've been following from the beginning of the movie, having his final battle with the big bad guy, and they're going back and forth, and they seem evenly matched, or in many cases, the bad guy seems to have the advantage, and it looks like the bad guy's going to win. He's, he's, just, he's, gonna just, he's about to destroy the good guy, and then at the very last minute... The good guy finds some secret source of strength or some clever trick or something, and he you know, pulls victory from the jaws of defeat, and he destroys the bad guy. And yay. But that's not, what, that's not how it works in the Bible. If you look in Revelation uh, you know, chapter tw- uh, 19 and 20, when you see how Satan actually is finally defeated, it's not some big, huge battle against God that where God or Jesus just barely come out ahead. No, when when when, that is, when this age is over, when Satan's uh, temporary rule of this planet is done, God calls a, an angel, doesn't even name the angel, just some random angel, and says, hey, you know, take Satan, tie him up and throw him in a pit. That's it. God doesn't even get his hands dirty, so to speak. He just has one of his random angels do it. Satan is so Im- impotent against God that God just orders, you know, again, a random angel just toss him in, in, to toss him into a pit. And then when the final battle is over after the millennium, which obviously we'll, we'll, we'll talk about when we get there way, way a bit down the road, God just speaks and says, okay, Satan, you've had your, your, your last bit of fun off to hell with you. And that's it. There is no battle. God is infinitely more powerful than Satan. Satan is a created being. He is inferior. He does not, to dispel another myth, he does not rule hell. The Satan, despite what you might have seen in gothic imagery from the medieval times, Satan is not ruling hell with some pitchfork roasting sinners over a charcoal grill. No, Satan's fate is to be in hell. And by hell, I mean the lake of fire, there, which we, that Jesus speaks of and is spoken of in Revelation. Currently, by the way, there is no one in the lake of fire. There's no one in hell. There are people in Hades. There's a big difference. We'll talk about it down the road at some point. But Satan does not rule hell. He he will be in hell. Hell is his fate. And so why? But why is that mythology so popular? It, unfortunately, it's it's another aspect that we get from uh, Catholicism, which is uh, Catholicism is basically paganism lightly brushed with uh, Christian brushstrokes. But it's really just the the adaptation of the pagan mystics. We talked about mystics a few podcasts ago when mystics merged themselves with Christianity. In the um, early part of of the A.D.s, in the, around 300 A.D., when that merger happened, the pagans came and basically Christianized all of their uh, paganistic beliefs, and they they just changed the names from their pagan gods to Christian names in order to pawn themselves off as Christians. And if you want to know more about that, just go to the section on Catholicism and the categories. I go pretty deep into that. But one of the things that they have, one of the things that they adopted, was taking their some of their gods and calling them Satan. So that's why you will see the Gothic images of Satan as having goat's horns and, you know, goat leg and, 
and things like that. And, you know, red with his pitchfork and his, his tail with an arrow at the end. Well, the Bible does not say that Satan looked like that. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Where does that come from? That image comes from from pagan mythology. That is an image of the Baphomet, which is a goat horned, a goat headed god combined with the the demigod Pan of Greek mythology, who had goat legs. So that whole image of that imagery of Satan as the goat looking, bat winged demon, that uh, that is not what he looks like. That all comes from paganism. So you have to divorce your mind from those things and look at what the Bible actually says about him. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And I think the best way to get started is, again, let's just go to the Bible. Let's go to the areas that speak in vivid detail about uh, Satan's career uh, before, during, and immediately after his fall. And those two chapter, those two sections are um, Ezekiel chapter 28 and Isaiah chapter 14. And Isaiah talks more about the fall, whereas um, Ezekiel chapter 28 uh, gives you a lot of interesting detail about his career and what he was like pre-fall. So let's start with that. Let's just let's go to Ezekiel 28. And before we get to this to the section, let me just set things up here and understand that um, the section in Ezekiel, this whole se- that whole section, several chapters before and after uh, Ezekiel 28, are really talking about judgments that God has against the nations and against the leaders of those nations, and in. Uh, chapter 28 of Ezekiel, God begins by talking about uh, uh, or actually passing judgment or having Ezekiel prophesy ju- judgment on a man called the Prince of Tyre. Uh, Tyre was an actual country in uh, north north uh, west of, of Israel, uh, one of Israel's enemies, and they were a pagan nation. And God starts with a, a judgment against the human leader of Tyre. But as it goes on, God changes and, and, and takes up a judgment against someone he calls the king of Tyre. And it will be very clear when we read this that this king of Tyre is not a human being. And just so you understand the context, because God is eternal, God does not see time the way we do. He does not experience time in a straight up linear fashion the way we do. God, you will often find in the Bible where judgment will start in in maybe a small picture sense and then go to a more much bigger picture sense. So Ezekiel 28 starts with a small picture um, judgment against this individual uh, man who is the prince of Tyre, but then expands and God has a judgment against the king of Tyre. And this is a spiritual king. It's, it's actually Satan. And the reason being that when we'll, we'll talk about this in a couple of podcasts from now, God gave not only does Satan have rulership over this world, which he uh, usurped from Adam, but God gave uh, rulership or authority over every nation in the world to an angelic being. And all those angelic beings ended up getting a little too full of themselves and they fell and were corrupted by the power that was given to them. In fact, there is a verse in Psalms. Uh, God, I believe it's Psalms 98. Don't quote me on that. I will, I'll put it in, in the actual show notes where uh, God has a lament against the, he calls them, you know, the sons of God, the Benaiha Elohim, which is a title for angels. And he says that, you know, I gave you authority over the nations and you, you failed in that and you're going to be die like men, which means they, if they were to die like men, that means they weren't men to begin with. The point is that 
Ezekiel 28 starts talking about a, a human um, prince of Tyre and then God expands the judgment to the spiritual king of Tyre and that in this case is Satan. All right, so with that background, let's um, start reading um, at Ezekiel uh, chapter 28, starting at uh, verse 11. This is from the Holman Christian Standard Version. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, lament for the king of Tyre and say to him, This is what the Lord God says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every kind of precious stone covered you, carnelian, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald. Your mountains and settings were crafted in gold. They were prepared on you the day you were created. You were the anointed guardian cherub, for I had appointed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked among the fiery stones. From the day you were created, you were blameless or perfect in your ways until wickedness was found in you. Through the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I expelled you in disgrace from the mountain of God and banished you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud because of your beauty. For the sake of your splendor, you corrupted your wisdom. So I threw you down to the earth. I made you a spectacle before kings. You profaned your sanctuaries by the magnitude of your iniquities in the dishonest trade, in your dishonest trade. So I became, so I made fire come from within you, and it consumed you. I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of everyone watching you. All those who know you among the nations are appalled at you. You have become an object of horror and will never exist again. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack there. So let's just uh, break it down. It starts at the beginning. It says, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. What that really means is he was the ultimate, the seal of perfection. He was the ultimate creation of God, this anointed cherub. It says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Well, and that pretty much solidifies the idea that, that this is no longer a human ruler. He's not talking about a human, the prince of Tyre. He's talking about the king of Tyre, the spiritual power behind that evil empire of Tyre, because the king of Tyre, the prince of Tyre, excuse me, was not in Eden. He would not have been old enough. And only the only people who were in Eden were Adam and Eve. And God's not talking about Adam or Eve here. So this is obviously talking about a different being. You were in Eden, the garden of God, and every precious stone covered you. And all those precious stones he's talking about, the interesting thing about that is that they are the same stones that are on the breastplate of the high priest in, in Israel. When God established the law, he had a high priest who was the person who would take the sacrifices and worship from the Israelites and present them before God. So Satan had these exact same stones covering him, which would lead you to believe logically that Satan, or at the time he was not Satan, but this being, his name was Lucifer. We'll find that in, when we look at um, Isaiah chapter 14, where he is called the light bearer and light bearer in Latin is Lucifer. So I don't know if that was his proper name, Lucifer, or if it was just his title of light bearer. Either way, that's who he was. He was created and he was not created as Satan. God did not and cannot create evil. He, he would not create his own enemy. God did not create this evil being. He created a light bearer. He created a beautiful, perfect being who fell. So I'll just continue to call him Lucifer, the light bearer. So Lucifer was basically the high priest. He was perfect in wisdom and beauty. Perfect means there was, there was nothing higher created that was more beautiful than Lucifer. He was the ultimate. You could not be higher than this. So that's when you see these silly, idiotic uh, caricatures of Satan as this, you know, again, goat-horned, ugly, 
uh, bat-winged thing flying around that's scary. That is, again, a deception. It's a myth. It's paganism. The Bible never calls him anything other than what he is. Beautiful. Why would you be tempted if Satan, and Satan is the grand tempter, how would you be tempted by something that's ugly and horrific and that would scare you? Of course you wouldn't be. You'd only be tempted by something that's beautiful, that would make you, that would be desirable. Satan is not ugly. Sorry, folks. He was and is beautiful. He can, he can continue to be beautiful, even though in his fall, obviously, he's no longer what he was. Paul says very clearly that Satan can transform himself into an angel of light so he can still present himself as this amazingly beautiful, uh, seductive and desirable being. And that's what he was. He was perfect in beauty. He was the high priest of God. He was the anointed cherub that covereth. So Satan was a cherub. That's very interesting. And we'll talk about that in a second. But you have to divorce yourself from this idea. Again, back to the idiotic pagan uh, mythological uh, uh, paintings that we see that that, per, per, that showed cherubs as these fat winged little babies. That was that was ridiculous. That's not what a cherub is. If you look in the Bible, the cherub or cherubim in plural were the highest level of created beings. They were the ultimate angels, and Satan or Lucifer was one of them. These cherubs are not, again, little flying fat babies. They are fearsome, am amazing, incredibly glorious powerful angels that were ruled over everything else that God had created at that time before he created man. So he was the anointed cherub. So he was the, so the cherub, the cherubim were the, the co-rulers of God. They were part of God's high council. They were the highest created beings and Satan was over them. He was the anointed cherub that, that was um, the, the, the anointed guardian cherub. It says you're on the holy mountain of God. And we talked about this before in the Eden narrative that in Eden, there was not just a garden. There was a mountain. So he was there on the mountain of God in, in Eden. You walked among the fiery stones. Um, there's debate over what those fiery stones were. Some people say the fiery stones were uh, uh, an idiom for the different planets, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. If you consider Pluto a planet, I think that's still <laughs> debatable. But um, some say that so some say that to believe that the, the plants were the fiery stones and they were all apparently inhabitable before the fall, before the war in heaven, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. And that as part of the judgment, they became in, inhospitable and they became, you know, the the the, you know, the inhospitable planets that they are now, you know, uh, Mercury and Venus are way too hot. Mars is too cold. And of course, Jupiter, Saturn and the outer planets are, you know, cold and gaseous and uninhabitable. I don't know if that's true or not. You have a lot of the um, talk about um, uh, Mars. You can apparently, allegedly still see certain monuments on Mars, uh, pyramids, and there's the so-called face on Mars. Uh, I can't give that too much credence because there's just not a lot of proof of it. I've seen some grainy photos that may look like there's a pyramid on Mars. I, I Maybe, maybe not. I, I, I can't, again, I can't give much credence, but if, if that is true, then that would just be more proof that um you know it was it was inhabitable at one point and it was and now it's not but i think the most logical or probably the easiest to defend explanation of the fiery stones is that they are an idiom of angels angels are the angelic beings are said to be made of fire and so the fiery stones may just be angels it says you walk so it says in verse 14 you walked among the fiery stones which means he walked among the angels and he was over them and it says from in verse 15, from the day you were created. So again, Lucifer was a created being. If there's any doubt, he is not God's equal. He is not preexistent. 
Um, because we know that because e- evil cannot be pre-existent. We talked about this and we talked about good and evil during the, the Eden series, that evil cannot exist on its own. Evil is destruction. Good is creation. Good can exist without evil. You can create without destruction, but you can't destroy without creating. You can't destroy unless there's something to destroy. So something has to be created first. So if creation or good is needed first, then evil has to be no less than second. And if you're created, if you're second to come into existence, then you're not eternal. So Satan is not eternal. He is a created being. God created him. And again, God can dispose of him anytime he wants. So the question is, why doesn't God dispose of Satan? Well, because he's basically a tool. God uses him. And when God's done using him, he'll just dispose of him easily, as we talked about at the beginning of this podcast. So he was blameless in all of his ways, a perfect in all of his ways, until wickedness was found in him. Wow. It says, through the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. What trade are we talking about? What was he trading in? Well, there was only one bit of trade or merchandise that he could have been trading in that he actually possessed. As the high priest, his job was to, he had two jobs. Number one, reflect the light of God. He was, he was an image bearer. He, re, he was a bearer of the light of God. And as the high priest, his, his job was to bring the praise of the angelic beings to God. That's what he traded in. He, he took the praise just as the the um, Hebrew high priest would take the, the trade, the, the praise of the Israelites and bring it before God, uh, Lucifer would take the praise of the angels and bring it before God. That's what he was trading in. And But it said he, his heart became proud because of his beauty. So what does all this mean? That means that he thought he started, started thinking highly of himself. He started thinking comparatively instead of contrastively. He thought that he was so beautiful that he deserved some worship. Thinking contrastively as a part of worship means that you know you're not worthy of worship. That's contrastive thinking. Am I really worthy of worship? No, I'm not. I'm a created being. I'm bringing worship to God who is the ultimate creator. But when he started thinking comparatively because of pride, it says that his heart was lifted up because of his pride. He started to think comparatively and said, well, I think I am worthy of some worship. Maybe not all of it, but you know, I'm God's ultimate creation. I'm beautiful. I'm perfect in wisdom and beauty, and I should get a little bit of worship for myself. And I think that's where, that's that, that's how he his fall his fall um, started. That was the initi the initiation of his fall. And I think there is something more than that, which we'll talk about in the next podcast, is where he really saw. Um, a reason to not only have pride in himself, but have disdain for God's next major creation, which is us. We'll talk about that again in the next podcast. But it says that because of that pride, he his wisdom became corrupted. So you may wonder if, if Satan was perfect, if Lucifer, excuse me, was perfect in his wisdom and wisdom would say he shouldn't rebel against God. Why would he rebel? Well, his he did have that perfect wisdom. It says until that wickedness, that pride was found in him. As soon as he started thinking of himself as worthy of praise, as soon as he started thinking of himself higher than God intended him to, all that perfection was corrupted. He didn't have perfect wisdom anymore. He had imperfect wisdom. And in that imperfect wisdom, that's where he fell. That's when he thought he could actually be like God. So before we get into his fall, let's just, let's take a step back and let's examine what was he like. So we know that, again, he was Extremely beautiful, the most beautiful. If you were ever to see Lucifer, you would see the most beautiful thing you've ever laid eyes on. He was at the time the most wise because he got his wisdom from God. He was he reflected God's light, so he was brilliantly bright and bright, beautiful, full of wisdom. Another thing to note about him is what he may have looked like in certain forms. He was a cherub. 
And we talked about what cherubs look like, the cherubim look like in our series in Eden. We talked about the serpent or the Nakash and what he really was. We looked at the description of the cher- of the cherubim. One of their descriptions is in Revelation chapter four and five, when the four cherub who are left now, obviously there were five, there's the fifth cherub, Lucifer, who was who's obviously not in heaven anymore, but at the time there were four cherubim in heaven, Lucifer not being one of them. So there are five total cherubs. So the four we, we see in Revelation, one, they, they represent, by the way, the, the their authority or their representation of, of 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 the things that God created, the life that God created. One looks like a man, one doesn't look like a man, which was obviously a, a symbol of mankind, of humanity. Another one looked like an ox. So that was a kind of a symbol of the um, herbivores and land animals. One was like a lion, which represented the carnivore land animals. And another one looked like an eagle, representing all birds and the avians. And, but there, that's it, but there was one missing. There's one major category of created life that was missing. And that would be the cold-blooded animals, the fish and the reptiles. So if there was one section of life that was missing and there's also one cherub that was missing it would stand to reason that that missing cherub would also represent that missing life those missing life forms so uh, lucifer must have he was the fifth cherub in which he, he was then he probably represented reptilian and fish scaly scaly animals um so and that's why he became known. That's why the Nakash was is called a serpent because Satan is often depicted with reptilian characteristics. He's called the he's called a serpent. He's called the great dragon, the great red dragon in Revelation chapter twelve. Uh, serpents represent sin throughout the Bible, so I think it's pretty clear that Satan is represented reptil in, in reptilian terms. Or he's talked about in reptilian terms. I think he was the cherub that represented that world, the cold blooded, uh, scaly reptilian fish. Now. That's kind of a contrast in my mind, at least, about with the beauty, because I don't particularly find reptiles and fish to be that beautiful. But that's just me. Some people do like them. And, and apparently, however he was depicted in his reptilian form, it still must have been very, very beautiful and probably not like the not-so-attractive reptilians that we see on Earth um, in, uh, today. But that was who, that was, that's what he represented. And, and there's even more proof of that when you look at a lot of the pagan deities that are also also have serpentine qualities. You will find them. Well, let me back up before I talk about those. Let's talk about another class of angels that are called the seraphim. You have the cherubim that, that are the top angels, and I think a level before below that are a group of angels called the seraphim, and you will find them in um, Ezekiel, and you also I think also find them in Isaiah and some other chapters. There's a group of angels called seraphim, and that also designates some type of serpentine qualities because the word seraph means. It means a flying serpent. That's what a seraph is. It's a flying serpent. And so some angels, and I believe probably the part of the angelic host that Satan maybe had the most influence over were these seraphim. Not all of them fell because there are still some in heaven, but it would tell me that, that this section of, of angels, these seraphim, were probably the most um, vulnerable or the most in, easily induced by Satan because Satan has those same reptilian qualities. And as I said, you will find a lot of pagan deities that are depicted with serpentine qualities, especially here in the Americas. The Incas and the Mayans all worshipped 
a plumed or, or feathered or winged serpents. That was that's in in, in their mythology. It's, it's all their pagan gods. Even even here in the United States of America, the Native Americans also worshipped winged serpents. So I think it's pretty clear that in addition to whatever else Satan was, Lucifer was. He also had these these strong reptilian qualities, and he retained them to some degree. So he was beautiful. He was wise. He he um, was the the worship leader. We'll see when we read um, Isaiah chapter fourteen that he was very skilled in music. He he was just an extremely attractive character, and his job was to be the the worship leader and the person who brought praise to to God. So let's now just um, quickly look at the fall, how he fell, and that will be. In Isaiah chapter 14, starting with verse 12, this is from the New King James Version, because frankly, I like it better than the Holman Christian Standard Version. I'm going to stop using that version. I keep finding too many errors in it. Anyway, starting uh, verse 12, how you were fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you were cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. If you have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you should be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. So let's break this down really quickly. How you fall from heaven, O Lucifer, that's light bearer. You're cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. And that's, again, speaking past and future tense, as God does, because God doesn't see time the way we do. He sees him as a person weakens the nation's future tense, even though he's talking about him falling in the past tense, he knew that this would be his role, which would be, which would be to weaken the nations. And we'll, again, we'll talk about that in in the future podcast, a couple podcasts from now, actually, when we, when we talk about how the angelic beings who got put over the nations fell as well. And I believe that they committed the same sin as Lucifer and maybe were influenced by him. But the reason that he fell was because of the, the five I wills. And these are all his statements of pride. And when we look at them, they actually paint a really interesting picture that will give us more insight into the the actual practical reason for his fall. I mean, the, the theoretical reason that is that or the philosophical reason is that he had pride. And that was true. But what caused that pride? What was a practical reason? What did he see that made him say that I'm going to be better than than whatever I am than what I'm fighting against. Let's look at the, the five I wills. I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. The stars are angels. Stars are an idiom of angels. I will also sit in the mount of the congregation, the mountain of God, on the farthest night sides of the north. That's where God dwelt in the north. And that's you know, not directionally speaking. It's, it's, it's a, a level of, of, of importance, of hierarchy. The north is considered the highest I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, so it will be in the heavenlies. I will be like the Most High. So let's start with the last one. I will be like the Most High. Uh, some people will tell you, even some Christian theologians will tell you that Satan's goal is to be greater than God. It's not. He doesn't say that. He never says, I will be better than the Most High. That's God's title, the Most High. He says, I will be like the Most High. Satan isn't stupid. He knows that he can't. you can't be greater than God. God is the greatest he is he's the first cause you cannot be greater than the first cause he says he'll be like god so if see he will be he wants to ascend to heaven he wants to be above the angels he wants to sit on in god's on the mountain of god in his congregation basically he wants to sit on the throne 
he wants to be above he wants to be in the heavens he wants to be like god well who is he comparing himself to he's not comparing himself to, to be greater than god he's not trying to be greater than god because we just said he can't be he he can't be comparing himself to angels because he was the highest angel so who other than god and angels who could ascend to heaven who would be on the throne of god who would be in the mountain of god who is destined to be like god not angels us human beings redeemed man man a saved man god's purpose in creating man and we talked about this way back in the past when we talked about the meaning of life god god's whole purpose of creating man was so that he would have the, the bride of Christ someone he wanted a, a fourth person of the Trinity as it were he was trying to create someone just like him so that they could so that he could have more of that perfect love the Trinity existed in a state of perfect love three entities Father Son and Holy Spirit existing in a state of perfect harmony and love and the only thing greater than that or anything that could be more than that is to have four persons right in in that perfect harmony so God created man to be that quote unquote fourth person of the Trinity or <laughs> quadrinary if you whatever you want to call it that would be man that's our ultimate goal is to sit on the throne of god as the bride of christ and if you're the bride in marriage you are one with the person you marry so when we when we are married to christ we will be one with christ we will be a part of the godhead we will be co-heirs with christ we will have everything that christ has we will be like the most high we will be on the throne of god we will be in the congregation in the size of the north we will ascend to heaven we will have all those things so the person that satan sees as a rival the, the entity that Satan was rebelling against, the reason that Satan fell was not just because of pride, but because he saw a rival. Satan felt that he, Lucifer at the time, saw that he was the ultimate of God's creation, that there was no one more perfect in beauty or wisdom or authority. But then he finds out that there is going to be another entity that God will create called man that will ascend above him and be like the Most High. And if you look at what Satan's ambitions were with these five I wills, they were actually to be like what God intended man to be. So we're going to talk about that more in the next podcast about why Satan fell, because he saw man as a rival. And we're going to talk some more about what he's like now. We we spent this last podcast talking about what Satan, what his, what his identity and his personality, what his career was before the fall. Well, in the next podcast, we're going to look at his identity after the fall and the reason that he sees man as his rival, as his enemy, not not necessarily God. I mean, God is his is 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 um, his enemy in the fact that, you know, they have their cross purposes. Man wants to uh, God wants to elevate man. Satan wants man to be corrupted. So they're enemies in that sense. But Satan is no threat to God. Satan can't take anything that God has from him except man that's the only thing that satan can affect and that's because man has free will so i don't want to say too much more because i'm starting to get way too much more into what the next podcast is going to be but let's just say let's uh, end this podcast now and and let me know that the next podcast we're going to talk about satan's enmity towards man and also we'll do a deep dive into what satan is like now since the fall so thank you for listening i appreciate it um please follow me on social media on facebook and twitter please 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 subscribe to the podcast so that you can get these 
Um, or subscribe to Faith by, Faith by Reason so you can get these podcasts and blogs as soon as they're published. Just go and put your email into that right navigation area there where, where it clearly says sign up to be part of Faith by Reason. And I will talk to you next week.